the european colonial rule in africa divided the continent and its traditions into many fragments which we now know as the 54 african countries the berlin conference of 1885 divided the continent among the 14 colonizers which enabled to divide the resources of the continent equally the scramble for africa resulted in division and compartmentalization of tribes the impact of which is prevalent in the contemporary world Thank you for tuning into JSIA podcast. I am Pradeep Krishna, an undergraduate student of Global Affairs in the Jindal School of International Affairs. I am Preeksha Jalan, a student of the BA Political Science in the Jindal School of International Affairs. So the first point of discussion we wanted to bring in was Congo. So the Belgian King Leopold II declared himself as the owner and the absolute ruler of Congo from 1885 to 1908. in where he committed several atrocities which resulted in mass deaths in the region the largest ever private colony was owned was owned by this king one that he ironically never saw acquired during the 1885 berlin conference in an attempt to increase belgium's international power and prestige this colony was interested in the king's care to improve the lives of the native inhabitants ironically By the time the Belgian government took over, an estimated 10 million Congolese people had died, mainly due to neglect and exploitation suffered as a result of rubber harvest. Disease was another major contributor. The king set up the brutal colonial history of Congo, also referred to as the Hidden Holocaust by some. Post 1908, the Belgian government controls the colony, wherein racial discrimination and resource exploitation is rampant. This proves the catalyst behind the colonization of the country, leading to several contemporary conflicts of the country. So, after Congo won independence in 1960, the country descended into crisis, and it was anticlimactically termed as the Congo Crisis. Now, after the country won independence, when Belgium was transferring power, minimal preparations were made for independence. Like Belgium organized the first elections, and a lot of parties stood for the elections. Now, most of these parties had intentions to form separate nations for their own tribes. However, the party which came into power, the MNCL, was in favor of a united Congo. Joseph Kasavubu was elected as the president, and Patrice Lumumba as the prime minister. Now, the new nation began to descend into chaos as soon as the independence was won, and uh, two weeks after the country became independent, the army mutinied. The Congolese military was comprised in such a way that the colonial white officers kept their jobs. Now, um, the black officers, the native officers in the army, mutinied against them, demanding higher pay and greater authority. Now, this forced Belgium to bring in troops to restore order in Congo. This was done without the permission of the Congolese government, which in turn asked the United Nations to provide troops and demanded the removal of Belgian troops. The province of Katanga, which did not comply with the idea of a united Congo, shortly declared its independence from the Republic of Congo, which was followed by the province of South Kasai. Both of them were supported by Belgium. Now, Prime Minister Lumumba's efforts to seek assistance from the Soviet Union eventually resulted in his own doom. Initially, President Kasavubu dismissed him as the prime minister, and after that, the army chief, Colonel Joseph Mobutu, staged a military coup backed by the United States, of course, and took part. Now Lumumba was subsequently arrested and assassinated. However, his supporters led by Antoine Gazenga with Soviet support formed the Free Republic of Congo in the eastern city of Stanleyville. But this resistance was eventually crushed in 1962. The Congolese army with the support of the United Nations finally took control of Katanga and South Kasai and to um 
appease the katangis uh, the exiled katangis leader moves to shombe was recalled to head an interim administration and finally fresh elections were organized however disagreements between the shombe and kasabubu again led to a deadlock in the government which forced mobutu to stage a, a second coup and uh, eventually taking power ending the congo crisis and he went on to rule for a long time so what exactly is belgium's role here what how did they aggravate the crisis now after when congo got independent it was broken as a country due to the colonial rule the king leopold's uh, rule resulted in massive decrease of population and workforce and congo's resources were massively exploited the sudden decision to give independence to congo left no one prepared for it the young government had no experience and the country had only 16 graduates when it got independence minimal preparations were made to address issues like federalism tribalism and ethnic nationalism the province of katanga which is already not approving of a united congo was given no representation in the central government which further aggravated the katangan situation katanga won independence with belgium support due to belgium's interest in its huge natural resources belgium's interference in the military mutiny was was what further aggravated the congolese army and public questions could be raised over the inaction of the united nations this when united states had no reason to um, come and interfere in the crisis now to conclude congo was heavily exploited by belgium even when they won independence belgium played a huge role in the destabilization of the nation which surely holds belgium accountable for the crisis and how congo turned out to be the next point of discussion we wanted to bring in was rwanda now, rwanda's socio political dynamics are pretty interesting to look at the country primarily consists of three subgroups hutus tutsis and twa the hutus and tutsis were culturally predominant with the hutus being the majority ethnicity the tutsis predominantly held power during the colonial times however after independence a hutu revolution led to a democracy which resulted in a hutu republic now uh, subsequently a lot of tutsis fled rwanda and took refuge in neighboring countries lot of refugees uh, who took refuge in uganda formed the rwandan patriotic force or the rpf led by fred rabigema and paul kagame and they launched an attack on rwanda now president habyari mana tried negotiating peace and eventually the arusha accords were signed in 1994 there was a momentary peace and even the united nations um, formed the united nations assistance mission for rwanda or the unami um and it was sent to the country however everything went haywire when president habyari mana was assassinated radical hutu groups then began taking matters into their hands and they started killing tutsis and moderate hutus this was dubbed as a rwandan genocide and even the rwandan army supported it and the un amir were mere spectators somewhere between 500000 to 1 million tutsis and moderate hutus were killed in the genocide and the rpf shortly began an offensive and eventually emerged victorious and assumed control of rwanda as mentioned the berlin of the berlin conference of 1885 was the major was the major reason that started the scramble of africa however this region was not divided by the berlin conference done so in the 1890 during the conference held in brussels as a result the countries of rwanda and burundi together were given to germany as an incentive to renounce its claim over uganda sitting in europe they were deciding the fate of millions from 1893 to 1894 first exploring expeditions remained under germany from 1895 to 1919 under belgium as the league of nations mandate and from 1916 to 1945 as a un trust territory and eventually leading up to independence in 1962 however the colonial history of rwanda is what led to the 
contemporary conflicts in the region. In pre-colonial Rwanda, the social mobility was highly fluent between the three ethnic groups of Tutsis, Hutus, and Twa. However, with the coming of the colonizers, the social mobility ended abruptly with the introduction of the colonial administration. Hutus could be promoted as honorary Tutsis, while Tutsis were considered to have become Hutus based on cattle ownership pre-colonial era. However, what the Germans did was their native policy. It comprised of indirect rule with the introduction of collection of cash taxes in hopes of increasing the production of cash crops, therefore putting the country on the global map. Traditionally, the Hutus were farmers, whereas the Tutsis tended to livestock. These class divisions eventually came to be seen as the ethnic des designations in the colonial era. Since cattle was far more valuable, the Tutsis became the local elite despite being the minority. The Tutsi dominance was also favored by the colonizers due to their taller stature, their willingness to convert to Roman Catholicism, and their appearance as more European-like as compared to the Hutus or the Twa. Gradually, these boundaries started becoming rigid. The introduction of an ethnicity identification card furthered this. With the use of the ethnicity identification card issued by the colonizers for easier administration, this movement along the social stratum stopped. Gradually, this led to growing resentment among the Hutus for the Tutsis. Despite being the majority, the non-political elite comprised largely of Hutus, thereby leading to the further Rwandan crisis. Okay. Now, uh, moving our focus towards Nigeria, Nigeria is also an interesting case to look at. Uh, British trade with local tribes began in the 17th century, and in the 19th century, British um, began a military campaign to take control of the region. They effectively took control of Nigeria in 1885, following the Berlin Conference. They divided Nigeria into a North and a South Protectorate, which further paved way for huge gaps between both regions. The British prioritized the South and began developing it as it had better resources than the North. The locals were given European education and the region saw better infrastructure development. The Christian missionaries also had a greater presence in the South and large number of people converted into Christianity. Things were much different in the North. The British maintained an indirect rule over the Northern Protectorate. Now the Northern re region was predominantly Muslim and they rejected Christianity. The new British policies coupled with the lack of labor opportunities in the North and the rejection of uh, Western education led to widespread illiteracy and poverty in the region. This further widened the gap between the two regions. And in 1947, the two protectorates were clubbed into one colony. The tribes and the uh, northern and southern region were now fighting to exert the dominance over a new united Nigeria. These, the religious roots of the conflict, Muslim, Christian, was established during colonization. This has further strengthened the position of Boko Haram in the country and in the surrounding region of Chad. Boko Haram is a jihadist terrorist organization based in northeastern Nigeria, which is also active in Chad, Niger, and northern Cameroon. This was founded by Muhammad Yusuf in 2002, and the group has been led by Abu Bakr Sheikhau since 2009, although it has splintered into many other groups following Yusuf's death in 2015. Now, the goal of this organization is to purify Islam in northern Nigeria, believing that jihad should be delayed until the group was strong enough to overthrow the Nigerian government. The main sentiment behind this group's functioning is the fact 
that as mentioned northern nigeria is dominantly islamic while the southern is christian christian which was introduced by christian missionaries in the colonial era now this has led to certain skirmishes between people also leading to various humanitarian humanitarian issues and crises in the contemporary era now before the country was colonized and subsequently incorporated into the british empire as colonial nigeria in 1900 the borno empire ruled the territory where boko haram is currently active it was a so sovereign sultanate run according to the principles of the constitution of medina with a majority kanuri muslim population in 1903 the borno emirate and sokoto caliphate came under the british rule followed by the arrival of christian missionaries in the region however now in the contemporary era they claim the boko haram claim that islam is the dominant and native religion of the region and that christianity has been at odds with it since beginning the group's main initiative is basically to gradually uh, sort of condone the nigerian government into accepting and identifying boko haram as a legal sort of identifier for the masses of the northern region a last sort of topic for discussion is how africa has been mapped the implications of it or rather how it should have been mapped first talking about the pre colonial maps while cartography in sub saharan africa is associated with outside perceptions and even economic and political impositions there are indigenous tradition of representing space which predate colonial rule these are consistent with european practices and are often linked to islam and middle eastern culture which entered the sub saharan regions of the continent as early as the 8th century ce mohammed bello the highly literate ruler of the sokoto caliphate in the north of present day nigeria could thus provide early 19th century european explorers with a reasonably accurate map of his domains and the major trade routes within them however it is not clear if visual representations were used for internal purposes or these degrees of precision were different varying from tribe to tribe Pre-colonial African representations of space were not limited to political and economic issues. The most developed and striking forms of cartography use landscape references to express ideas about identity, migration, histories, mythology, and relationship with spiritual forces. They were created for internal use rather than communication with outsiders, as in some tribes, communicating with other tribes was considered punishable. and this might take form of elaborate artifacts such as the luba lukasa or wall decorations temporary drawings on the grounds body tattoos and even compasses orientations inscribed onto objects which do not themselves represent space these complex form of indigenous cartography provide evidence of african ability to think systematically and graphically about space and forces to extend our own conceptions of maps which were not always such practical devices in earlier european history now when we talk about european cartography it is a complement of technologies of political power which aided in bureau bureaucratic administration during the colonial era resulting in the need for regular tax collection and even in times conscription of populations for military or public work services so now the question arises how can you map africa 
or can africa be mapped at all now to address the first part um, a framework for a better mapped africa could be built on religious linguistic and tribal parameters firstly looking at the possibility of dividing the continent by giving territories to each tribes if you look at the regional autonomy of every single tribe in africa firstly there would be a huge number of autonomous tribes in africa um further in areas like west africa where the living conditions are favorable the number of tribes are huge and the territories become congested and they don't fall along clean lines this could eventually lead to further conflict as we know from history however these tribal regions can be unified to form more stable nations now africa primarily consists of two religions christianity and islamism and the northern parts of africa are predominantly islam and the southern parts being mostly christian further speaking about languages africa consists of over 2000 languages however it would be convenient if instead of looking at individual languages we look at language families which consists of language which are similar to each other now stable nations could be made by mapping out regions who fit all three broad categories however huge roadblock remains the fact that the natural resources in africa are scarce and countries may struggle to be economically independent this could eventually lead to destabilization of nations the case of south sudan which shows how despite the region breaking off from sudan due to religious linguistic and racial reasons the country still struggled with conflicts and poverty that might be the case of many other nations if they break off as long as the resource problem is prevalent in africa no matter how balanced the countries are it will lead to conflict and instability which forces us to ask if africa can be mapped at all or is the current map is enough now speaking about the current map we can see that currently the continent of africa is moving towards stability it is not how unstable it was when it won independence and as africa's population growth balances and a huge era of economic investment and growth dawns on the continent it could be said that the continent has its best years ahead of it thank you for tuning into jsi podcast we hope you like the episode thank you so much thank you